The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five stocks. Looking to be under pressure once again. Investors bracing for an earnings onslaught. Tomorrow's June inflation number, the ongoing energy woes. Twitter throwing down the legal gauntlet. This over Elon Musk called to back out of the deal what Twitter's attorneys are telling his team this morning. Call it a SPAC fail. Billionaire, billion investor Bill Ackman saying he is folding his special purpose acquisition company. Two hours down, 26 to go for Amazon's Prime Day. We'll break down what the next two days could mean for the company's bottom line, maybe for retail as a whole. And then something is happening to the American dollar for the first time in 20 years. It could have big implications for trade, or even your travel plans abroad. It is Tuesday, July 12th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. Thank you for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. I always tell the team, best of the business, by the way, if you can make it through Tuesday, you can do anything. So let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. I'm not sure the markets are going to make it through this Tuesday. Stock futures indicating a lower open. The major average is all down just about a half to maybe six-tenths of one percent. All this after we broke a five-day win streak on Monday. Of course, we just showed you yesterday how the first two weeks of July are the best two weeks of the year. Maybe we jinxed it. Who knows? Either way, five days of gains. Six, by the way, days of gains for the NASDAQ all snapped on Monday. Some sharp losses, too. NASDAQ lower by more than two percent. In the bond market, we're seeing benchmark 10-year yields hovering just above 3%, so kind of waiting on the Fed and that CPI number. That's going to be a big deal, actually, just below 3%. I stand corrected. In the oil market, WTI crude oil just north of 102 a barrel. A little bit of good news recently for gasoline prices. The AAA national average for gas continues to tick down. Today, it is only $4.68 for a gallon around the country. But that is down more than 30 cents on that record high that we hit back on June 14th. Maybe a little bit of tiny relief there. And in the crypto markets, no relief. Bitcoin, it is back below 20,000. Crypto, all these hedge fund implosions, cryptocurrencies going down just cannot get out of its own way. Price of Bitcoin now at $19,700 and change. Well, speaking of currencies, we've got to get now to a major story overseas. With the euro now just about at a one-to-one exchange rate with the American dollar, that is what's known as parity. You're going to hear that word a lot on CNBC today, I'll bet. And that has not happened in 20 years. It is a big deal. And let's get more with Jumana Brissetti in London. That trip to Paris, for me anyway, just got a little bit cheaper, Jumana. 
<laughs> parity, also known as a cheap holiday if you're American and want to come visit Europe. That's right. We've been watching the euro all morning. But before we get to that, I just want to run you through what's been happening with European equity markets. As you can see, a lot of red behind me building on from losses from yesterday. Stock 600 down about half a percentage point yesterday. More red on the screen today. The FTSE 100 down about two tenths of a percentage point. All about the Tory leadership contest. But we're not going to find out who the new prime minister is going to be until September. So we still got a couple of months ahead of us. At Tech Account in France down about four tenths of a percentage point. Renault, Renault is one of the names that we're watching there. At the uh, car manufacturer reported declines of about 30% stemming from their exposure to Russia. And the ZX obviously in focus again continues to get battered day after day. Today down seven tenths of a percentage point because of what's been happening in the currency. So let's just take a quick look at euro very close to breaking through parity. Almost there. It might happen while we're on air, uh, Brent. So euro is uh, very close to breaking through that one mark down about four tenths of a percentage point 20 year low people are asking why this is happening well first of all we've got the interest rate differentials versus the u.s the ecb haven't even started hiking yet the fed are way ahead so a lot of pressure on them to do something at this july 21 meeting growth differentials were coming into crunch time for european growth right now with the maintenance of the Nord Stream one pipeline germany very exposed and then of course another big uh, very big indicator is what's been happening with the german current account has dipped from a surplus to a deficit, another driver for the weakness in the euro here, Brian. And it doesn't look like it's going to stop at any time soon. We had FX strategists on our show a little earlier saying that perhaps where we go from here is as low as 95. So there you have it. Big day for FX markets. Yeah, I mean, for our viewers that are listening and not watching, the numbers are 1.0002. So not quite under one, but we're going out, what is that, the 10,000th decimal place? Jumana Brissetti, thank you very much. Exactly. That is truly amazing. I remember when that happened 20 years ago. It was a big deal then, probably a bigger deal now. All right, let's get some other big deal top money headlines happening on this Tuesday, including billionaire Bill Ackman throwing in the financial towel on one of his investments. Savannah Hanau is here with more. Savannah, good morning. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Yep. So hedge fund manager Bill Ackman says he is shutting down his $4 billion special purpose acquisition company and returning cash to investors after failing to find a suitable target to take public. Now, when it first launched two years ago, Pershing Square Tontine Holdings was the largest spec on record. But since then, Ackman says the unexpected recovery of capital markets during the coronavirus pandemic has made getting a deal done less and less likely. Shares of EV maker Rivian moving lower ahead of the open after an even sharper move lower yesterday. This on reports the company is planning to lay off about 5% of its workforce, according to Bloomberg. The layoffs are reportedly focused on non-manufacturing roles, including teams with duplicate functions. Rivian shares are down more than 70% this year. And Meta Platform's head of engineering is telling team leaders to identify and report low-performing employees so they can force them out. From an internal memo posted Friday and seen by the information, one Meta executive said, quote, Every manager needs to think about each person on their team and the value they are adding. If a direct report is coasting or a low performer, they are not who we need. They are failing this company. As a manager, you cannot allow someone to be net neutral or negative for Meta. Brian, the posting is the latest indication of managers following through on Zuckerberg's promise to tighten the purse strings at the social media giant. It just sounds... Honestly, kind of creepy and weird. I mean, you forget a a couple weeks ago, Mark Zuckerberg 
on some sort of internal call said something like, some of you probably shouldn't be here. Yes. It looks like they are cracking down. Meta, sure. Meta does not sound like the most fun place it to really work. It really doesn't. Sounds like a there. difficult Savannah. place to work. Yep. No. Yeah, a little bit odd there. All right, Savannah, thank you very much. You got it. All right, now to what is happening on Wall Street. Stock features pointing to a weaker open. Investors awaiting some key corporate earnings later on this week. But the big market event of the week is not earnings. It is the Consumer Price Index. That is out tomorrow morning at 8.30 a.m. That is a biggie. Probably going to determine what the Federal Reserve does at the next couple of meetings. All this, as we talked about it a moment ago, the dollar continues to gain. It is now at highs in the dollar index and against the euro. Not seen in 20 years. Let's combine all of this into one nice little package with Mark Howard, Managing Director at BNP Paribas. Mark, so much to get to, so little time. How important is that inflation data tomorrow? Morning, Brian. No coasting for you and I, right? <laughs> Look, uh, it's, no, a, it's an important release. Uh, it is part of the broader set of data that we're dealing with right now, including last week's payrolls, uh, the CPI this Wednesday, and of course, uh, the UMICH, uh survey on Friday. So there's a lot of important data, a lot to condense, uh, but the, the markets are speaking with their feet. Uh, there's a risk-off tone, risk tone in the short term. And uh, that reflects the fact that the Fed's going to have to continue to be aggressive to tame inflation. And by aggressive, you mean three quarters of a percent, a.k.a. 75 basis points at the next meeting, probably a half or three quarters of a percent at the at the September meeting. Yes, Brian, we're looking for 75 and 50, followed by a couple more, uh, probably 25 basis point hikes uh, in the last two meetings of the year. And that's contributing to this dollar strength you were just talking about, parity with the euro and, uh, and, and a flight for safety because uh, the U.S. is going to keep moving rates up, which creates this currency di- or, uh, interest rate differential and, uh, and this uh, desire to own dollars. If that inflation data tomorrow comes in red hot, and I think the White House press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, said something to the effect of it's going to be you know, highly elevated or something like that yesterday, Mark. If we come in above nine or something like this, does that make the, the markets go down because the Fed has to be more aggressive? And summarily, if we come in at six, which is still historically hot, but far less than we are now, could that send markets up? Because then the thinking is maybe the Fed can can sort of ease off the brake pedal a little bit? Yeah, Brian, that's a great question. And I think it, it, it goes hand in hand with some of the other data we're likely to get. So, for example, we do think the, uh, the consumer confidence uh, data out from UMICH on Friday is actually going to be a little bit improved because gasoline prices have come down. So to your point, if it's really hot and then we get followed with a more moderate UMICH survey, uh, the market could trade okay because uh, it implies that uh, some of the impact from gasoline and from rent and from other factors may start to, to roll over that wouldn't have been caught in the CPI report. Uh, but as you also point out, if we get a, a much cooler number, uh, then certainly people are going to, I think, read that bullishly from a risk standpoint because it means the Fed won't have to be as aggressive and squeezing out growth. It is very trendy to be negative on the American economy right now. I'll just I'll admit that in the media, everybody's tossing who can be the most negative right now. And every time we swing that far, I don't know, my little antenna go up, also known as my ears. And I think, is that have we swung too far? Is everybody now too grim reaper on the American economy? 
Yeah, I think, you know, there's you have to look at the economy and markets as two separate things, right? If you look back, Brian, people are quick to forget that we had four outstanding years in U.S. equities over the last five. In fact, U.S. equities were the single best performing major asset class in the U.S. in four of the last five years. So we're down double digit in the first half of the year, but that's not the end of the world when you look at it over a five-year horizon, anything but. So yeah, we've had a pullback in markets. We've had some air come out of the balloon, but that doesn't mean the economy is terrible. In fact, the currency markets are telling you, in fact, that the U.S. Uh, economy is is uh, standing tall relative to global peers. And um, in fact, many of the concerns contributing to uh, the sour tone in equities right now are related to yeah. Europe and to a degree China, not the U.S., yeah, that's a great point. Maybe we're the best house in a bad neighborhood, as they used to say back in the day, and that is that one-to-one parity with the euro. Uh, I'll just say this. I'm glad we live in America, not Europe, because we got a lot of things problem here. But uh, compared to Europe, we are looking, like you said, Mark, uh, pretty rosy. Mark Howard of BNP Paribas. Really appreciate it, Mark. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you, Brian. We are lucky to live with all the problems we have, all the warts. I'll tell you what, economically right now, we are very, very lucky. All right, we come back. A worldwide exchange exclusive with the CEO of the most valuable insurance technology company in the world, WeFox, live from Germany. Plus, Twitter's lawyers not mincing words when it comes to Elon Musk's attempt to pull out of the Twitter deal. All that as the stock continues to drop. And later on, what happened? The big name retailer whose CEO stepped down after just two years, unexpectedly. We'll tell you the name. There's the chart. It is ugly. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release. With Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. All right, welcome back. Private capital from venture investors may be harder and harder to come by these days as rates rise. Let's take a look at the once hot buy now, pay later space and Klarna's valuation. Its latest funding round has that valuation down 85% from the same time last year. But that does not mean there aren't a few hot sectors ripe for new cash. And this morning, German insuretech unicorn WeFox announcing it has raised another $400 million from investors, part of a Series D funding round that boosts its post-money valuation to $4.5 billion, bucks, up from just three one year ago. Joining us now to talk more about it in a Worldwide Exchange exclusive is WeFox co-founder and CEO Julian Taiki. Julian, good to chat with you again. We spoke last year, kind of got into your business what it was all about. We know about fintech, financial technology, in a very easy way for our, and by the way, it's very early here as well, Julian, explain to our audience what insurance tech, insure tech is. 
Insurance is uh, one of the largest industries in the world. We're looking at a five trillion US dollar industry. And I'm not sure if you know, but there is a protection gap. Uh, so uninsured risk um, that should be insured of another 20 trillion. So we're looking at a total target uh, market of 25 trillion US dollars, one of the largest markets in the world. And it's untapped uh, by technology. There's huge potential. Banking has been disrupted. Insurance is up next. You know, this has been, and I will say this about insurance, Julian, whatever people think about it, personally or corporate-wise, it is a tough industry to crack. I mean, they are deeply ingrained. These are big players. Some of them literally have been in business for hundreds of years. What's the secret to kind of breaking in to that sort of old-school club? Insurance is, as you say, one of the most crisis-resistant industries in the world. I like to say, you know, insurance companies are the oldest companies in the world, only second uh, to breweries. So only beer seems to be more crisis resistant uh, than insurance. And there's a huge uh, potential in terms of disrupting that entire industry that's stuck in the pre-internet era on a global scale with technology. The way we do it, and you've rightly mentioned, um, last year we had a record-breaking series C round of 650 million US dollars and now we're just announcing a Series D round that values the company at 4.5 billion US dollars. And we're not just in a large market, we're not just in a crisis resistant market. We are, with our business model, super crisis resistant. And um, because what we said as WeFox is we're not going to eliminate the human agent, um, we are going to empower. Uh, the human agent uh, with technology. Nine out of 10 insurance policies are sold via the human agent globally. And our approach not only lets our business grow faster than any intratech in the world, we also grow at superior unit economics. We have no customer acquisition costs up front. So yep. we're not spending up front. We're not burning cash. We're earning money on the, f the first dollar back within six months. And we are on a path to profitability much faster than anyone else. Faster growth plus better profitability and technology as the engine to support global expansion. That's the secret to reinvent insurance. Yeah, I, I, but I, I want to get your comment, Julian, what we've been talking about now, and at least on this program for about nine months of that Europe's energy woes. You're an insurance, digital insurance company, but you still use a lot of power given that you've got to run all your apps and probably data centers and stuff. What's it like being in Germany right now, given the high cost of utilities, the power? Does that impact you at all? And just on a macro level, as a CEO, how does it impact your thinking? So as insurance is very crisis resistant, it doesn't impact the business. Um, in fact, if um, there's an economic downturn, people spend more on insurance rather than less. The only thing that we're seeing um, in terms of uh, insurance being impacted by the downturn um, is fraud going up. But this is something that we've been preparing for. We've been investing more than the peers in fraud detection technology. So we're hedged against that risk. Our decision now with the new funding, instead of leaning back and being defensive, like most other technology startups in the world, we're going all in. We're seeing this crisis as an opportunity to grow our business and mm. become the clear winner after this crisis. Well, investors are certainly betting on it with a $4.5 billion valuation. Julian Tyke, we Fox, congratulations on that funding round. Thanks for coming on Worldwide Exchange and CNBC. We'll catch up soon. Take care.
All right, on deck. For better or worse, everything you know is bigger in Texas, the Lone Star State. But unfortunately, that may include some upcoming utility bills. Why energy problems are not just limited to Europe right now. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back, and good Tuesday morning. We certainly talk a lot about Europe's power woes on this program, but it's also happening here in some places. Remember, Ohio suffered rolling brownouts a few weeks ago as the power load risked overwhelming the system. And now it is getting very dicey once again in Texas. State's power grid operator, known as ERCOT, is asking Texans to try to conserve energy. They're doing that by asking them not to crank the air conditioning or major appliances quite as much, especially from 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. to avoid overtaxing the state's power grid as temperatures get very hot, over 100 for days in some area. This week, average temps for the state expected to be 10 to 15 degrees above average, with almost the entirety of the state above 100 degrees. Now, right now, they do have enough power. Only a few thousand people are out. But prices for that electricity are starting to spike as well. In some cases, sitting around $400 on Monday. That's about the same that Europe is paying. Although, hopefully, this should be a shorter-term issue for Texas. It's not new. In 14 years, ERCOT has issued these kinds of requests to reduce consumption nearly 50 times in 14 years. The Texas grid continues to be strained as the population booms and new infrastructure is not being built fast enough to keep up with that. All right, let's get up to date on a few of this morning's top headlines outside of the world of money and business. For that, NBC's Francis Rivera in New York. Good morning, Francis. Brian, good morning. The seventh round of the January 6th hearings will kick off this afternoon. The committee will lay out evidence about how the violent mob was formed. A top committee member tells NBC News a primetime hearing that was expected Thursday is being pushed to next week because of an influx of new information. A source familiar with the investigation says a man who pleaded guilty in connection with the riot will testify today. Stephen Ayers posted a tweet from former President Trump encouraging supporters to go to D.C. on the 6th. And we're also expecting to hear from a former spokesperson for the far-right group, the Oath Keepers. Tops friendly markets will reopen Friday after being closed for nearly two months. On May 14th, the Buffalo supermarket was the scene of a racially motivated mass shooting that killed 10 and injured three others. A moment of silence and prayer will be held to honor the victims, employees and community members who were impacted. Most of the store has been renovated since the attack. In Scotland, Tiger Woods is warming up as he prepares to compete in the Open. The 15-time major winner hasn't played since pulling out of the PGA Championship. It kicks off Thursday on NBC Sports. 
And we are only a few hours away from seeing more secrets of the universe. The first batch of full-color James Webb telescope images will be released this morning. NASA and the White House shared this preview yesterday. It shows the deepest, sharpest infrared view of the universe ever taken. So fascinating. Anytime we see those images, especially when you compare it with the before and after, Brian. I'm going to tell you something, Francis. You know, we got a lot of divisions in this country, but I, I was looking at that with my, my son last night. We were explaining that some of these are galaxies like ours, and look at all of these, and maybe these are black holes over here. And I just thought, can, if something can bring us together, maybe it's the universe. Because when the aliens come, Francis, <laughs> and they might, we're going we're gonna to have to team up. Right? I hear you. I thought you were going to be more philosophical, out. like thinking, oh, it's just beyond us. The university of words is so tiny. But, yay, the aliens well, will do it, too. I, I, if you want me to go down that route, you, you remember <laughs> Animal House when they might have, may or may not have, like, smoked some weed, I think is the <laughs> term. And they were like, we could be an atom in somebody's fingernail. And that's actually kind of, not high, but that's actually kind of how I felt last night. Just looking at that <laughs> thinking, man, I don't matter at all. Francis, thank you. That's philosophy for you for this Tuesday morning. You got there you it. go. What I tell you, amazing photographs. Uh, just insanely gorgeous. And we're just a rock floating around, folks. All right. Straight ahead, why Starbucks is shutting down more than a dozen stores around America. We'll tell you why, and it may not be the for the reasons you may think. It's a troubling story. You got it. Coming up. Stick around. Stock's recent rebound appears to be running out of gas. All had a big inflation day to tomorrow and earnings. No Tuesday turnaround on tap. Futures, they are lower. Europe's ongoing energy crisis reaching a boiling point. Russia beginning its shutdown of a key pipeline providing gas to the region. The Kremlin looks to turn up the pressure on leaders. And Twitter firing back at Elon Musk over his efforts to get out of his $44 billion bid to take over Twitter. Telling the CEO of Tesla, not so fast. It is Tuesday, July 12th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brian Sullivan, right around 5.30 in the East Coast. Here's how the markets and your money are looking right now. They're not looking so hot. Maybe the selling kind of following through from yesterday. We are seeing stock futures down across the board. Not a ton, but NASDAQ futures down about 7 tenths of 1%. All the major averages they were sharply lower on Monday to kick off the week. The S&P 500 down about 1%. The NASDAQ more than 2%. The NASDAQ, by the way, breaking a six-day win streak on Monday. The S&P had a five-day streak, gained every day last week coming in, plus the day before the July 4th holiday. All that was broken on Monday. In the bond market, the 10-year yield just back below 3%. We've talked so much about the bond market and all these big moves this year, but in reality, bond yields are back to where they were about two and a half months ago. They've kind of moved up and down in that. But overall, we had that super sharp move the first half of the year, or first half of the first half, I should say. First quarter, he said. He took math. There we go. But in the last two and a half months, bond yields really haven't moved at all. Oil's moved. Moved down a little bit recently. But we are still above 100 bucks a barrel right now. We're at 101 and change as well. Still very a tight market there for U.S. oil, but maybe the biggest market story right now, we don't talk a lot about currencies, but this may be the biggest story today anyway, is the U.S. dollar. It hit one-to-one with the euro earlier this morning. We call that parity. 
It has not done that in 20 years. This has a lot to do, by the way, with the story that we have been talking about on this show, Europe's energy crisis, because those energy problems and costs making a lot of people think that Europe will fall into a deep recession, and that is setting the value of its currency lower. It also has to do with, of course, central banks and interest rates. Either way, one-to-one euro parity, it has not happened in 20 years. A big deal, by the way, for trade, for banking, and of course, if you're looking to take a European vacation this summer, it's good news. Everything just got a little bit cheaper. All right, now to a few more big money headlines on this Tuesday. Twitter is claiming Elon Musk's efforts to end his $44 billion bid for the company is, quote, invalid. In a letter to Musk's lawyers, Twitter's attorneys say the company has not breached its obligations. Musk's lawyers claim that Twitter failed to give their client the information needed to figure out how many spam or fake accounts are on Twitter's platform. Twitter's attorney counters that the contract remains in effect and it will continue to provide Musk with the information requested. Also happening now, retailer Gap saying its CEO is stepping down effective immediately. It does say that she will stay on for a brief transition period, but she is leaving as sales tumble and the company continues to have supply chain problems. Executive chairman of the board, Bob Martin, will serve as interim CEO and president of Gap. And listen to this. Starbucks is closing 16 stores across America because of crime and safety concerns. Some stores will close in Seattle, L.A., Portland, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C. It has to do with crime and even reported drug use at some locations. Five stores will close in Seattle alone. The Seattle Times says it has to do with how many crime-related complaints have been logged at each store and the safety of customers and the staff. That is a sad story. All right, now to Europe and more on their increasingly dire energy situation. And today is day one, the biggest pipeline supplying Russian gas to Europe, the Nord Stream 1, being out due to maintenance. Now, that maintenance is supposed to last just 10 days. But there's growing fear that Russia could pull that servicing longer than just that period. In a newspaper interview published yesterday, Russia's finance minister endorsed a proposal by Gazprom to expand its rubles for gas scheme to now include liquefied natural gas. Meantime, a Kremlin spokesperson says no decisions have been made. In the meantime, Germany's energy regulator has outlined how it will prioritize what customers may be shut off in the event of possible gas rationing this fall and winter. Think about that. Who gets to leave the lights on and who doesn't? And speaking today at an energy forum in Australia, IEA Director Fatih Birol says... The global supply squeeze that has led to skyrocketing power and fuel prices may only get worse. Let's talk about all this now more with Samantha Dart, head of natural gas research at Goldman Sachs. Samantha, one of your competitors said that July 22nd, which is the day the Nord Stream is set to come back on, may now be the most important day of the year for Europe and maybe the world. Would you agree with that or is that hyperbole? I think July 22nd, the day when it's supposed to come back, it's certainly going to send a strong price signal to the market. But it's not the only day that matters. What I mean is this. Imagine you're approaching the end of maintenance season, and one or two days before that, we hear a statement from Gazprom saying, 
Well, unfortunately, our maintenance is going to have to be extended by one day or two days. So any statement between now and then or after maintenance is over can create panic and chaos in the market. By the same token, after maintenance is over, let's say volumes come back to a partial restart or even to a full flow of the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. Nothing guarantees it stays there. So July 22nd, important market mover? Absolutely. Is it the only date that matters? No way. No, I agreed. You know, and here's the thing, Samantha, because of this maintenance and this turbine issue, which we highlighted yesterday being shipped off to Canada. I mean, bizarre story there. But because of that maintenance, Gazprom and Russia kind of have this cover, right? It's not like they're just shutting the pipeline off because they're trying to send a message. They've got the maintenance cover. And I think that's the worry. Is it not once they shut it down because of, quote, maintenance, they can come up with any excuse they want for why they may have to extend the issue? Absolutely. Even when the pipeline flow rates were cut back down, you mentioned the issue with the turbine. When that was brought up, the flow in the pipeline was reduced by 35%. Then the following day, Gazprom came out saying, by the way, we're reducing it another 30% without any additional technical issues that we're aware of. So it does leave room for interpretation as to why they are doing what they're doing. By the, Along the same lines, if you think about... Um, Gazprom's ability to reroute the reduced flows via Nord Stream 1 using a pipeline through the Ukraine. Again, they opted not to do that. So it leaves room for interpretation. It does suggest there is something else at play here, which is exactly what leaves the market guessing. It just keeps uncertainty high. What What leverage does Europe and particularly Germany have? I know everyone wants to think that Putin's got all the cards. He doesn't because Putin also needs something else. He needs money. So he's going to want gas to flow through that pipeline. How much leverage, if at all, does Europe have? Gas revenues are small compared to Russia's trade surplus at the moment, and they are small compared to their oil revenues. They are, to your point, they are acting to preserve some level of revenue. For example, their um, actions recently to take over the Sakhalin liquefied natural gas plant. That's a plant that had had 50% of its ownership belonging to Gazprom. And Russia is now taking over the facility. It's not clear who is going to own how much of the facility going forward. This could potentially increase Russia's revenues from the sale of liquefied natural gas out of that plant. But gas revenues alone are not going to impose a lot of leverage on Russia. I would think that the risk that Europe does not have enough gas to go through the winter is a much bigger issue. It is maybe the issue. I mean, we've been talking about it for months here, Samantha. People calling us fear mongers, whatever. I don't think they realize how close to the edge that Europe is right now. Let's hope that that pipeline does get turned back on. Samantha Dart of Goldman Sachs, great analysis. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Thank you. 
All right, a lot more to do here still on Worldwide Exchange on this very busy Tuesday morning with futures down on deck. Amazon said to become the latest retailer to roll out some deep discounts. Who else but Courtney Reagan is here to break down why the event may be less about saving you money and all about battling the backlog. Huh. But as we head to break, some of your top trending stories that are happening right now Sticking with Amazon, it is expanding the use of so-called smart shopping carts, whatever that is. They're set to make their debut at a Whole Foods outside of Boston. The Dash Cart, as it is known, were introduced two years ago. They track and they tally up everything you put in the cart, and then you can skip the checkout line. Actually, that sounds pretty cool. Meantime, GameStop announcing the debut of its online marketplace for non-fungible tokens. Yes, NFTs still exist. The move is the latest by the retailer to find growth with a focus on the digital space. And after more than two decades, the Pittsburgh Steelers Stadium is about to have a new name. The team announcing that Heinz Field is no longer going to be Heinz Field. It is now going to become AcraSure Stadium. Heinz did not renew its contract and AcraSure, which is a reinsurance company, came in with the naming rights. So the Pittsburgh Steelers will be playing in Acrisure Stadium for 15 years. You go, Pittsburgh. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. The retail deal train rolls on today with Amazon kicking off its Prime Day event. It's a live look at one of the company's fulfillment centers in Robbinsville, New Jersey, home of DiLorenzo's tomato pies, by the way. While competing sales between Amazon and other retailers may seem like it's all about giving you the best deal possible, really it all boils down to making some room in warehouses. Courtney Reagan joining us now with more on the real goal behind all the discounts being offered this week. Does that mean, Courtney, we're just going to buy up all the stuff nobody else wants? Possibly. I mean, if the deals are good enough, right? Sometimes people get enticed to buy it even if they don't really need it. And Brian, you know that while Amazon publicly stated its first Prime Day eight years ago was to mark its 20th anniversary, it's now an annual event for the company and other retailers that offer competing sales like Best Buy and Macy's Black Friday in July, Target's Deal Days and Kohl's Summer Cyber Deals. Now, retailers can call it what they want, but to your point, the July sales are really inventory clearouts, especially this year. The biggest promotions are going to be on the items that retailers have too much of at the wrong time. COVID demand swelled in categories like bikes and patio furniture. So retailers responded. They ordered more, but supply chain delays and changing consumer demand means many retailers are now stuck with the goods and the added costs of storing them. Breaking just 12 hours ago, Gap Inc. CEO Sonia Single is out after two years in the top job, and its inventory is 34% above last year. Single said the excess inventory is a result of merchandise that was, quote, out of sync with what consumers want. Gap and Old Navy have promotions of 50 to 60% off today. Target's inventory is 43% higher than last year. It said plainly it's slashing prices to move goods. American Eagle inventory up 46%. It's running a sale for up to 70% off. And while Walmart isn't marketing a specific event, it has thousands of rollbacks right now anyway. CEO Doug McMillan said he'd like to just wash away about 20% of the inventory it has right now. So while investors want to see consumer excitement and revenue generation that these big sales events can drum up, it's not ideal to do so at compressed margins on so much inventory, especially after the first quarter's margins came up well short of the year prior for so many retailers. Now, the retail ETF, the XRT, has well underperformed the broader S&P 500 in the last month. 
And Brian, typically Prime Day doesn't even lift Amazon stock. Over the last seven years, Amazon stock performance during the event is down an average of 0.14%. Back over to you. All right. So I got so many questions here, but also, you know, to your point, it's not just Amazon. Everybody now is taking this weird Prime Day thing and it's now like, what I, I, you know, Courtney, you know me, we've known each other a long time. You know, I can't stand the term Cyber Monday. I People know. say it, I get like hives that just sort of break out all over my body. <laughs> but it's like Cyber Week now. It's like the summer Cyber Monday. I mean, how much more of this can we expect? Yeah, absolutely, Brian. I mean, it's sort of like when one big player makes a move like this, everyone else in a way can't help but move forward. And this is a time that's typically pretty quiet for retail. And when Amazon first started, it was even a bit earlier in the summer. So school in many cases was just getting out. So those back to school sales hadn't really begun. That period of time hadn't begun. It's crept a little later in the season. So some of this too is is retailers trying to capture early back to school shopping as well. But I mean, look, this this time around, of course, they've got all this extra inventory, so it kind of comes at a good time, right? It gives them an excuse to offer these sales because they more or less were going to do it anyways, but maybe the categories in which they do it did change, or maybe there's just even more that's on promotion now than was originally planned. Are these really good deals? In some cases, they are, Brian, but not always. Um, I think that's that's sort of the, the key with all of this. You're not necessarily always going to get the lowest price on everything offered today. And there's all sorts of web extensions and different websites that can help you track that. I know Amazon is saying that, that one of its uh, Fire yeah. TVs is the lowest price that it's ever been today. But, you know, do your homework, like always. Ooh, I got to snap up that Fire TV. <laughs> Courtney Reagan... Thank you very much. See you all day here on CBC. Take care. All right, on deck. Overall, the markets and stocks may be looking for another rocky day of trading. The focus now turning to that inflation data that's out tomorrow. Greg Sarian will lay out whether volatility may be creeping back into the markets in your money. And, of course, a gentle nudge. If you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. Dow Futures, they're down over 200. There's a live look at that Robbinsville plant again. And we're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Let's get now your daily rundown of what to watch today. Of course, you got the June NFIB survey. That's the National Federation of Independent Businesses. That's out in just a few minutes. Really a measure of how small businesses feel right now. They're probably going to talk about labor. That's my guess. You got some corporate reports of note. Pepsi earnings out next hour. Boeing's second quarter deliveries being released later on this morning. And we're going to hear from Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin later on today at 12.30 p.m., not to be mistaken with Ellen. All right, the market's recent win streak, looking like it may be losing steam as Monday's loss look to carry over to today. For more on your trading day, let's bring in now Greg Sarian. He is founder and CEO of Sarian Strategic Partners at Hightower. Greg, great to have you back on the program again. We highlighted there what was today. I think Tomorrow is maybe the only day that matters this week, and that is that consumer price index inflation data at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. How closely will you be watching that, or am I way off base? Brian, thanks for having me back. It's a critical number. The last eight or nine months, we've seen inflation getting worse and worse and worse, 40-year highs, month after month. The, the producer price index, consumer price index numbers, the market needs to see inflation, doesn't need to see it going backwards. But it absolutely needs, needs to see it stabilized. We've also got the Fed in a couple of weeks. What they say about 
their direction and leaning. Uh, Powell's been very adamant, and the jobs report Friday gave them a green light to continue to raise maybe another 75 basis points. And then you nailed it, corporate earnings. Uh, we think what, what the CEOs and CEOs say about their guidance, how are they managing costs, how are they seeing inflation, will be hugely important for market returns in the next six months. Yeah, because earnings estimates, UBS, I think, knocked them down yesterday. Evercore, ISI, Oppenheimer, they're all starting to roll back their EPS estimates for the macro market, which, of course, brings down valuations. And therefore, you know, you see stock prices come down along with it. If we get a lot of positive chatter from these CEOs, right, Greg? I mean, that could be a real positive for the market because maybe we've gotten overly too concerned about earnings. Brian, there's no question there is a bottoming process happening here. And I think that's what investors need to embrace. It's not going to be a singular event. It's going to be more like a W. And a, a couple of those catalysts include, will we see inflation flatten? Doesn't have to go back with the markets looking out the next six to nine months, not the next six weeks. That could be positive for markets. I also think if we get through a couple of rate hikes in July and in September, the market can see a point where the Fed has done most of its damage and can move forward. I think the biggest issue, Brian, for investors is the renew return paradigm. The returns we've seen in the last decade will likely, with persistent inflation and earnings pressure, not be the returns we see going forward. Readjusting their saving and spending assumptions is critical at this time. So what do we do, Greg? What's the, we highlighted yesterday that this is the first time in 50 years that both stocks and bonds our de- government bonds are down in the same calendar year. There's been nowhere to hide. That's right. So it's, it's important to take a strategic, thoughtful approach here, Brian. So on the equity side, we still like dividend growth companies, cash-rich U.S. dividend growth companies. We'd be dripping money in to the equity markets, that which is earmarked for stocks, over a two- or three- or four-month time frame, not trying to pick a singular bottom. On the fixed income side, you mentioned it, yields are very attractive. Right now, Muni, a one- to seven-year Muni ladder is paying around 3%. On a taxable equivalent basis, that's over 4.5%. We like floating rate right now. I think that's a place that investors can park money and, and be stable and get some return while these rates are going higher. So, yes, expect volatility, expect this choppiness to continue, but there are pockets of opportunity yeah. as well. Greg Sarian. We really appreciate your views. Critical time. I'm sure you got a lot of nervous clients. We appreciate getting up early and coming on the program, Greg, as always. Have a great day. Take care. All right, folks, no RBI today. It was was so good. It was on the Rolling Stones, by the way, the 60th anniversary of their first live show at the Marquee Club. Congratulations to Mick and Keith and uh, rest in peace, Charlie Watts. 60 years and still playing. Wow. I just did the RBI. There we go. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.